Blog Talk Radio. National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, with co host Patricia Howard Glover. Hi, Patricia. Hello, Bernice. How are you this evening? Oh, Patricia, I am doing well. And I'm also very happy to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Well, tonight's show will focus on the genealogy do-over and the DNA do-over with Thomas McGinty. Well, the genealogy do-over for 2018 is an outline, educational initiative to improve genealogical and family history skills. Now, there's also a Facebook group, and it has over 15,000 members working through monthly topics provided by genealogy author and educator Thomas McGinty. Well, Thomas McGinty is a genealogy professional, and he's based here in the United States. He's a blogger, he's an educator, author, social media connector, online community builder, and more. And many of you know Thomas. Thomas has been around for a long time, and he describes himself as a lifelong learner with a background and a multitude of topics that finally figured out the best way he can teach, inspire, instigate, and serve as a curator and go-to guy for the concept of nurturing and inspiration. Thomas, you know what? I love this. So Thomas Thank is you. a big believer in success. <laughs> and and because of that, he's going to help you figure out how you can become successful also. So let me give a warm welcome back to Thomas McGinty to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you, Bernice, and hello, Patricia. Thank you both for having me here, and uh, this is a great opportunity. It's a, and Happy New Year. Uh, this is a perfect oh, New Year. Oh, Happy New Year. Yes. 
Well, you're right. This is the perfect New Year topic. So many people have started January 1st doing a little bit of everything, coming up with their goals and, you know, just saying what's going to happen in 2018. So, Thomas, let's start with just what motivated you to encourage people to get involved in the genealogy do-over? Well, I've been a genealogy educator for about 10 years now. I travel 50,000 miles every year teaching, you know, workshops all over the U.S. and even internationally. And this is one thing, Bernice, that I started to see. I started to see a pattern. Uh, when During lunch, you know, lunch or during breaks, I talked to people, and I wanted to know what, what frustrated them the most about their genealogy and their family history. And I saw the same responses over and over. Oh, I wish I cited my sources when I started. I wish I knew more about evidence evaluation when I started. My tree is a mess. I have a lot of conflicting information. I have a whole branch that I don't even think is my family. Uh, And so I said, wait a minute, there's got to be a cure for this. Uh, There's got to be a solution uh, if so many people are having the same problem. And you know what else, Bernice? I was seeing the same people show up in the same classes, even online on webinars. I said, why are, why are they doing this again? And so the whole idea of a do-over, what if we could start from scratch? Do you think that's crazy, Bernice? Absolutely not. I think you, you're the, making a lot of sense because I certainly have seen some of the same things. <laughs> yeah, but in terms of starting over, this this was the thing that really, when I first brought about this idea in 2015 because I studied this for a year in 2014. I did my own do-over. I put everything aside. And let me make it very clear. I did not get rid of anything. I I started in 1977 when the miniseries Roots came on TV. I was 14 years old, and I got hooked on genealogy. And so I had all these years of research. I wasn't going to throw it away, but I wanted to start from scratch. I wanted to start over, and that's the idea of a go-over. A do-over, genealogy do-over. So explain a little bit more about the genealogy do-over. Well, it is a 12-month program. You could Most people start in January. That's the way it's built. It's free. I have to say that. It's free. There's no charge. There is a workbook for sale on Amazon, uh, and but I would say 95% of this is free. You don't have to spend any money uh, getting the lessons every month. So we've broken topics down into 12 months, and there are about two to three topics every month. So this month in January, what we're doing is we're taking inventory of what we have, and we're setting our research aside. So we're boxing things up. We're keeping the important stuff like photos, letters, diaries. And what about vital records that you've already paid for? Those aren't going to change. So that's what we're doing. And we're, we're getting everything organized. January is a great organize, organizing month. And then we're also getting prepared to research. We're starting to think, how am I going to start this? Now, Bernice, I know you're an educator as well. When someone asks you, how do I get started in genealogy, what do you usually say? Start with yourself, right? Absolutely. And see, that's, that's the whole idea. That's what I determined. So I sat down and I said, Thomas, what do I know through family story, through oral history? What do I know about myself, my own birth, birth location? And then what do I know about my parents and grandparents? And I put it all down on paper. That became my to-do list. 
So that's what we started with, and that's how I started. And I've gone from a tree that was about 8,000 people, and I would say it was an unstable tree ready to tip over in shallow roots. And now, so far, I have a tree of about four to 500, but it's got deep roots. It's stable. It's a legacy that I can pass on to future generations and feel confident that it is thoroughly researched, and I would be happy to share it with anyone because I'm passing on good information. Well, it's really wonderful to hear that you're talking about a stable uh, tree because there are trees that are very unstable and not well-researched, yeah. and some right. of those trees may belong to other people. Exactly. And the the problem is, you know, it's nice that they're there on Ancestry. It's nice that they're there on MyHeritage and all these sites, WikiTree and Genie.com. But the thing is, whenever I approach someone else's tree, I have to remember, if I'm going to pick an apple from that tree, it may be rotten, and it's going to taint what I have. What am I bringing into my tree? So it's still my responsibility to research that information. I never add anything from someone else's tree until I check I look for sources, and I say, does this make sense? Does it fit? Is it true? And you know what? I want you to say that over again. <laughs> so that you don't well, pick that rotten apple off of somebody's tree, what do you well, do you again? Yeah, well, the thing is you don't always know it's rotten. Sometimes an apple looks nice and shiny and it's bright and it's, you know, it's there, and it's not until you bite into it that you get that worm. And so the thing is, is when you do get that apple from someone else's tree, make sure just don't tack it onto your tree and then walk away. Because I can tell you I've gone on wild goose chases based on someone else's poorly researched information. So the thing is it's my duty to say, okay, I think you have some good information on your tree, but I'm going to go and I want to make sure that you've got a source. I want to make sure that you've looked at the evidence. And if not, I'm going to work with those clues. That stuff is still good, Bernice. I mean, sometimes, you know, just like family stories, they may not be 100% true, but there are usually some clues in there. So then I'm going to do that work before I say, okay, now I can add it to my tree. That's right. So right now, in the first month, you're, you're actually looking at all of these documents. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're going through anything that we have. The thing is, I didn't want to be tempted by sticky notes, by notebooks, mm -hmm. by all these other things that I had used for the past 40 years. I wanted to start with a blank slate. I wanted to start and say, okay, this is what I know. This is going to be my to-do list. Then I'm going to start to research. I didn't want to be influenced by bad past practices. So I needed a clean break. Now, I do want to mention, Bernice, there is an alternative to the uh, genealogy do-over. Some of our members are doing what we call a go-over. They don't want to put their stuff aside, but they're starting mm -hmm. from themselves, and they're checking all their sites, their sources, and, and they're, so in a way they're reviewing things. I found that my tree was too messy to do that, but it's perfectly legitimate to do what we call a go-over where you're reviewing everything. We've had someone that found 90-year-old uh, family letters in a drawer that they had forgotten about in reviewing and taking inventory. So they're, you know, they're going over. I also saw that uh, Drusilla Pear just posted in our group. She's a member of our group. She found a book that she had written for family history in 1999. And I thought, what a gem to be able to review this 
and then now say, okay, I wonder how much of that was really true and what can I work with? Well, you know, Thomas, just listening to you talk about the letter, I have to say that back in 2005, I took a lot of documents from my mother's home in New Orleans right before Hurricane Katrina. Right. It was maybe about four months ago, I decided to just open up some of the envelopes just to see what was in there. I found letters that my grandmother had written to the the clerk of court in the parish asking for uh, information about her marriage license. On this letter, she talked about when she was born, her daddy's name, even gave the name of the church where she was christened in 1894. I'm like, I can't believe this, and I just... Saw it. And see, so you've been I've sitting on it. it for 12 years now. For 12 years. <laughs> I've had it, you know. See, this is why, Bernice, we're saying we want people to, to do an inventory, review what they have, and, and organize it. You know, the thing is, and then set it aside. Pick out the things that you know you're going to need to start over. Uh, original documents, letters, diaries, photos, and vital records. But everything else, all your notes, all your little crib notes and everything, put them aside. Don't get rid of them. And also it's true, Bernice, on the computer. What I did is I took all my database files, and uh, I basically set them aside on a flash drive. I got them off the computer. I didn't want them to be a temptation, so I did that. Now, uh, so, yeah, yeah, it it's actually has worked out very well so far. Well, I, I like that, though, because I certainly have a lot of my databases also on my computer. Yeah. So, you know, so I want all of the the guests in the chat room to know I'm learning, too. I mean, we're talking about what's going on here with the genealogy do-over, but it's something that all of us need to just take inventory of. So give us uh, some more uh, ideas of strategies for what it means to do the genealogy do-over in addition to the uh, looking at your documents. Yeah, well, the thing is now, one, and you have to be comfortable with the idea. It's a big step for a lot of people. I, I understand that family history, is there's a very personal, emotional side to it. To set aside all those years of work, work it, it's a little bit difficult. But once you get over that hurdle, then next month we're going to be focusing on what are the best research practices and guidelines? Uh, what are they in general? And which ones do I want to follow? And then I'm going to start setting my research goals. Basically, for me, it would be I want to prove my birth date and my birth location. Do you know that for a lot of people, that's not an easy thing to do? My mother-in-law was born in 1933 in Greece. We cannot prove her birth. Uh, So when she came to this country, she had to do a delayed birth certificate where she sat with her mother, and they interviewed the, the, the Greek Orthodox priest. And they sort of guessed at an approximated date, and that's her. It was yesterday. She turned 85 yesterday, January 10th. But the thing is, Family Search says that 40% of people living today cannot prove their existence. Isn't that amazing? 40% of the world's population has no, no record of their birth. And so the thing is, so it's really not, we assume that we all know our birth date. I've talked to people that said, you know, my birthday's. It's been off by a day or two or a year or two because I was told something and it was really this. Or my birth date was, you know, this, and my parents said that their marriage was this, and, you know, they, they, they moved their marriage date to cover the birth. And so the thing is, you know, it, 
you, you assume certain things, but now we're going to start to prove them. So we set our goals. Uh, you know, we want marriage information, death information. There's about 16 or 17 basic points. And then in March, we start doing our own self-interview, and we also interview family members. So we start – that's how you start to build. And then by the time April comes around, we're really, really good to go in terms of in-person research and online research, and we start talking about using a research log, which is really a big step for a lot of people. And uh, if I can mention, the, the reason is, uh, Bernice, you know, we spend a lot of money on these sites like Ancestry, right? Uh, so right. Why, aren't we get, why aren't we getting the most use out of them? So I use a research log. I track everything I do. I'm not one of these people that sits down at 10 o'clock at night and clicks on shaky leaves all night and then turn around. It's 2 in the morning, and you wonder, what the heck have I done for four hours? What did I find, you know? Uh, I, it, it's, it's more than just like a video game for me. I want results. So I go in at 10 o'clock at night and say, okay, I'm proving my great-grandfather's birth. And I spend the next hour, and I log everything I do and everything I find. Which is wonderful, and it is definitely a way to, to definitely verify what you're doing. You log it exactly. in, you know what you're doing. Right, you know what you're doing. And, and then, you know, on that research log, by the way, you know, the, there's a URL that I have called genealogyresearchlog.com. It's free. You can download the spreadsheet for free. I give it away for free. Uh, and it will help you track your own research, help you write your own source citations, and actually evaluate evidence. That has to be, Bernice, the number one. Maybe when we come back from a break, we'll talk about why evaluating evidence is so important. And that's the one educational area that I think a lot of genealogists still need help with. Right, evaluating that evidence. You are so right. So let's just continue. So we're into March. Yes. What happens? Oh, March. Yeah, and then by by April, we're tracking research, we're doing research, we're getting the groove. It's kind of slow, but you get better. It, it, this is this is a discipline that you're developing. Month five, May, we cover citing sources and also building a research toolbox. That's one of my big uh, topics. Is I have a toolbox with 150 different websites that I use all the time. Why should I waste time looking that up every time I need something, right? Why not have it organized? Uh, my, my mantra is I should be not be looking for stuff. I should be looking for ancestors. Uh, and so okay. then June comes along. June, we talk about evaluate, evaluating evidence. We also talk about online education options like uh, you know legacy family tree webinars, uh, other webinars. Uh, July, we talk about database software, uh, how to digitize photos and documents to get those preserved. Uh, August, we talk about collateral research. What about all those in-laws and people that married into the family? You know, a lot of people dismiss them and they don't research them, but they have clues. We also talk about offline education options, like going to the Midwest African American Genealogical Institute, Maggie, where I'll be this July. You know, why it's important to go and travel and go and meet with other genealogists and get educated uh, on genealogy. September, we talk about cluster research. Those are the people that live near each other and aren't necessarily related by blood, but there's still a lot of clues there. 
We also talk about getting our documents and our papers and photos organized. Month 10, October, we get into DNA testing, which is a perfect time because that's when all the sales are in October. Uh, also talk about organizing our digital research materials. I don't know about you, Bernice, but I had the hardest time about naming my files in genealogy, and I finally came up with a system that works. Uh, and so we focus on that. November, we talk about social media, why Facebook is so important for genealogy. Uh, we talk about building a research network of other researchers and research buddies. We also talk about research trips, planning those trips for the upcoming summer. And then finally, we close out the year by sharing our research responsibly. Uh, how do you contact other tree owners? How do you deal with someone that doesn't want to give up information? Uh, and also, we talk about backing up our data. Very important. If you've done this whole year of work, you've got to be able to back up your information. But you not, you're talking about backing up at the end rather than at, yeah. as you go on? Yeah, well, no, we, we back up all the time. and We do mention oh, it okay. every month. But the thing is we have a special focus in December saying, hey, it's the end of the year. Make sure that you have – I'm a big proponent of three different backups, not just one. So we get mm -hmm. – everything – you know, we can cover any of these topics. It doesn't matter that we touch upon them all year, but every month has a special sort of uh, emphasis and focus on those topic areas. Wow. Well, you have really given us a really good overview of what the genealogy do-over entails, and we're going to take just a very, very quick break and then come back because I want you to take us to the – just take us through some examples of what you have okay. observed others doing with their genealogy do-overs that could maybe motivate the people that are listening tonight. Great. Quick break. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexandra Bennett, with Patricia Glover in the chat room. And you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my guests, excuse me, all of my shows are available 
as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you have been listening to Thomas McGinty. Now, Thomas has gone over a 12-month list of things that you are encouraged to work on on a monthly basis, which is which is wonderful. And he has this wonderful community there to support you. And so, Thomas, give us some examples about what you have observed with what people have done with their genealogy do-overs. Well, you're right. We do have a we do have a Facebook group, a very active Facebook group with over fifteen thousand people, supportive people. It's an environment where there are no stupid questions, only stupid answers. I mean, you should never feel uncomfortable on the group. You know, if whether you're new or you've been doing this forty years, we all have some area that we need some help with. Uh, so I, like I said, the the person that found the letters after ninety years, ninety year old letters, uh, <clears throat> we're seeing people. They said. I went and I pulled all this stuff, and I saw the death certificate, and there were things on the death certificate I never saw the first time, and I just assumed that I got everything the first time. So this is what we're doing. We're doing it slow and purposeful. The other thing is we have a term, Bernice, in the do-over called BSO. BSO stands for Bright and Shiny Object. It's very easy to get distracted, and I know this happens to you and to me as well. You get excited about finding a new person, and you're going to research the heck of the, out of them, but you forget that you were working on your great-grandfather. So the thing is, that person is not going to go anywhere. Those records are not going to go anywhere. So the thing is, when, when something becomes a distraction or derails your research, we're developing those skills to say, wait a minute. I'm going to put this down on my to-do list. I'm going to finish my great-grandfather. Then I'm going to move on to the second wife that I never knew about or this other person in the tree. So people are coming away, Bernice, saying, you know, now I'm a little bit more, a lot more disciplined when I do my research. My research, excuse me, is effective. I sit down at night or in the morning, and it's purposeful. Uh, The thing is I, I have a goal. Uh, I know where I've been. I'm recording everything I've done. I'm not doing repeats. Uh, someone told me that she had ordered two and three of the same copy of a birth certificate. Now, that's money wasted. That means you don't know what you've done already or what you're sitting on. So we're also saving people money. Uh, people are realizing, hey, I don't need a subscription to this site because it's already covered by this other site that I could find for free. So it's all about resources it's about posting your finds. From time to time, we have, some people will post, uh, I have a problem. I don't understand this relationship or how could this be. Uh, can you help me? Can you help read something, an old document? We're all there to help each other out because we've been in the same boat. And it is very helpful to have others there to reinforce the fact that, you know what, you're not by yourself. Right, right. We're here. It's very, We're here to yeah, support very, you, and we have had yeah. a similar experience. Yeah, you know, in, in especially with online, more and more people are doing online research. It's very easy to live and work in a vacuum uh, and be isolated. 
Uh, and it's nice to know that you have a community. You know what the best part is, is meeting up with these people in real time at Roots Tech and other institutes and conferences. And you say, hey, you know, in fact, we have our symbol is a red. It's a red restart button. It's not an easy button. If you look at our logo, it, it doesn't say easy button on it. It's a restart button. And I so I have buttons that people can wear at conferences so that they know, hey, mm-hmm. he she is doing the do-over. Right, right. Well, also, now there's a question about going over old data. Now, do you mm-hmm. create a generic checklist to follow to summarize where you are in the research process? Yeah, I have a research log. So for each person, I'll, I'll start one from my grandfather or my great-grandfather, and it'll basically say, okay, I'm proving his birth date, his location, marriage, et cetera. And then I start out and I say, okay, I'm going to go on Ancestry and find as many birth records for him. And I might find 10 records. Do they all line up with the same date? Uh, why? If there's one that's different, why is it different? Maybe the enumerator didn't get the right information. Maybe it's an index and someone transcribed it and made a mistake. Uh, so that's what it is. The other thing is, Bernice, nothing goes in my database until I've proven that fact, until i prove that my great-grandfather was born January 31st, 1894 in New York. Then it can go in my database. That means my database is always clean. It's up-to-date. It's solid. It's sourced. And I would feel comfortable sharing that information with someone else. The research log is my sandbox. That's where I play. And that's where I prove stuff. And that's where we get into, like, evidence evaluation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you mentioned the bright and shiny object. Yes. Now, it does require a great deal of discipline. It not does. Not to get distracted. Yes. So what yes. do you tell people? How well, can they just stay the course? Yeah, you know, I think the important thing is is tracking. Whatever you come up with, it doesn't have to be a spreadsheet. I have a colleague that uses, remember those old black and white uh, composition notebooks we would use in grade school? She buys them oh, by yeah. the dozen on Amazon, and she has one for each of her surnames, and that's her research log. And she has to-do lists, and, and she it works for her. Having it handwritten, if it works for you, you know, you've got a system, that, you've got to get a system that works. I think that's the best thing is to track yourself and then, you know what the benefit is, too, Bernie? Sometimes I have to take two or three weeks off of, from research because I've got family stuff where I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. When I come back to my research, I would like to know where did I leave off? How many times have you start, you know, gone back and said, I don't know where I left off? So now I know where I can pick up. So the, I think that's the, really the important thing is this tracking mechanism is to, uh, to understand where we've been and where we're going. It's our compass is what it is, basically. Now, there is, I do want to say something about bright and shiny objects. There are times when they are legitimate, and you do want to drop everything, and you do want to pursue them. Here's an example. Uh, Probably in February, during Black History Month, Fold 3 will have free access to their African-American records. Now, that's a limited time offer, right? So I'm going to take advantage of that if I don't already have full three. So that's legitimate. Ancestry will probably have free marriage records around Valentine's Day. So it's, that's an appropriate bright and shiny object. Drop everything, put your current research on hold, and then go and look in those records because they're not going to be free forever. Well, we also 
picked up a new bright and shiny object today, and that's my heritage with uh-huh. the new rollout with the DNA. Well, everybody's dropping whatever they're doing because they want to see what it looks like. Right, exactly. The chromosome browser, this is something, and they were right on schedule. They had promised it January 2018. Uh, I found a great aunt. I have a great aunt I've connected with that I've never met, and I was looking at the chromosomes and how much we match. But you know what it is? At some point, I'm going to say, wait a minute. I want to get back on track with my regular research. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's unlikely my heritage is going to do away with a chromosome browser. Most places don't add something and then yank it out from under you, although we know that does happen. The thing is, it's nice for me to look at now, but I'm not, I'm not at that point where I want to research my great aunt. I'm right now working on my grandfather, so I want to go back to that. So it is a discipline. It really is. Uh, it's, that's it's that's really all is. I can say. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I think you you find it more enjoyable at the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month. They say, hey, I made some great progress, Uh, you know, rather than someone asks me, oh, what have you done for genealogy lately? And I'm like, I don't know. I get on Ancestry every night and I just poke around. That's not research. Mm -hmm. Well, Thomas, we have some questions. So let me just start. We have three right now. Okay, so do you use a self-created database? Or when you speak of databases, do you mean Roots Magic, a legacy? Yeah, I I mean a software program. So I, for years, was a Family Tree Maker user, uh, but I recently have switched over to Legacy Family Tree. That works with me better now. I like Roots Magic a lot. I always recommend Roots Magic to newcomers because it's very clean, streamlined, uh, easy to use. Both Roots Magic and Legacy have a free component, and it's that's perfect. You don't have to buy the upgrade. Uh, but I like Legacy. I like I like a lot of the bells and whistles and options in Legacy, uh, and so that's the program that I use, and that's where the data goes once I've proven it, and that's where my you know, cite my sources and and everything. But nothing goes in there until I've worked out through my research log and determined, hey, this is the exact birth date or birth location. Okay. The next question relates to your tree. And the question is, what did you do with all the other relatives that you got rid of from your tree? Do you still keep a grand tree that has them all on it? That's a great question, and this is what I did. I had my tree, and I still have the tree on Ancestry. But you know what I did, Bernice? I went in at the start, and I changed the name. And in all caps, I put in unsourced Austin Family Tree. Ah, And then I put a note on it, and I said, this tree has many entries that have not been verified. Use at your own risk. Pointed them to my my new tree and i said if you want a source tree go here so see this is the whole idea people think that we're just getting rid of stuff burning stuff and throwing it out no we're not but the thing is i know that the, that tree with eight thousand people might hold some clues for some lucky researcher why would i want to delete it but i do want to put up a warning saying you know if you find something here please verify it Okay, and then we have another question. What happens when the bright and shiny object 
is attached to a person or people waiting for an answer? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a difficult one. You know, the thing is, after a while, you get into a groove where you think, okay, I'm going to take a break, uh, and and you know, it's it's like when you when you were working and you have a break and you know it's a nice sunny day and you want to go out and spend more than your 15 minutes or your one hour for lunch but you know there are consequences to taking too long a break so there are times when i will take a bso break i will i i admit to it i will go and look at my new matches on on my heritage dna etc but i know that hey i need to get back to uh my research and finding my ancestors because that's what i'm leaving I'm leaving that legacy. I can't leave a BSO behind to my family, right? I want to leave right. that solid research. That's what I want for future generations. That's my mm-hmm. purpose. That's my goal. So we're going back to the question about the tree. Sure. So do you keep the unsourced tree public, or is that yes, a private do. tree? I make it so public because it's open. So the unsourced it's tree is a public tree, but your source tree public. is a private tree. Yeah, right now my my source tree right now is a private tree because it's a work in progress. Uh, so okay. they can contact me, and if I feel they're you know that, you know they're they're a legitimate researcher, and I, I I don't use that, I don't mean that there's qualifications, but they have a serious interest in my research, then I will let them you know share that tree. So the thing is, my big tree. As as ugly as it is, has been out there for so many years. I feel it wouldn't be right to make it private all of a sudden. There are people that rely on that, tree. but the thing is, I feel that I need to give a fair warning uh, to people that they know uh, that you know that the information in there was when I was a name collector, uh, and not everything is sourced. Right. Now, uh, before we went on the air, and we may have talked about it in the beginning, but let's just talk about it again, and that's trees, the trees that people discover as public trees, and what should they do when they see those public trees? So when they see those public trees, uh, again, what I do is is they're great for clues. It's great for information. Some of it might line up with your own information. Some of it might be brand new. If it's brand new, the first thing I look for is do they have a source citation? Do they have a record attached to it? Or did it come from a family story? Now, family stories in oral history is still legitimate. But the thing is, is then you want to take that and try and prove it as much as you can. Uh, So that's what I do. If it's a private tree, I reach out to the person. But even in a public tree, you know what a uh, a courtesy it is, Bernice, to ask permission. Uh, can I use this photo in your ancestry tree? Can I use this this narrative that you wrote? Uh, can I give give credit? I mean, it doesn't cost anything to say, hey, I got this from Bernice Bennett. We're cousins. And and so the thing is, is as I said to you when we were setting up the show tonight before we got on air, genealogy is a small town, uh, and it doesn't cost you anything to be nice. Uh, you never know what someone is sitting on. You don't want to burn that bridge. Uh, you don't want to burn down that tree. Uh, that person could be a lifeline to new information. So I think that's how I approach working. Uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to play nice in the sandbox. I, I have to admit, some people aggravate me in terms of genealogy, and I just have to let it roll off my back. 
And uh, I try and be as nice as I can be, as giving, as generous as I can be, because uh, I know it's going to come back to me tenfold. Uh, I'm going to run into people that have done great research, and they have research that I'm going to need. So there's nothing wrong with being nice, as you said. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong nothing, with being nice. Nothing wrong with being nice. So yeah. here's another question. Have there been any new revelations as you have gone over your data in the do-over? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I found some, well, some uh, some black sheep ancestors stuff and some revelations. And uh, Now, uh, I recently found out that my grandparents, uh, you know, my mother was one of 12 kids raised in New York City during the Depression. Now, I had always been told that they were married in 1935 in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, now, you always have to wonder when there are no wedding photos. I should have known this. Uh, and then it turns out they weren't married until their fifth child. I found a license application the other a few weeks ago. A new record set came online on New York, and I looked up. And I said, "Oh my gosh, they were they were not married until 1940, uh, just you know about a year before my mother was born." Now, now does it doesn't make them bad people? I mean, it makes them human. Is what it is. That's what I love Bernice about it. It makes my grandparents. Uh, they're human. They're not the icons that I thought they were, but they're down to earth people. The other thing is I have to realize New York also recognized common law marriage. Maybe they couldn't mm -hmm. afford to get married. They were very poor. So I have to say that maybe you – know, and we know this also. We also know that African Americans weren't, African -Americans weren't allowed to marry. You know? So the thing is there were certain things that substituted for marriage. So I have to give them the benefit of that doubt. Uh, but the thing is that was one of my big revelations was that, hey, you know, uh, I was told this, and then what do you do when a family story crumbles? There's a certain loss there, right, isn't there? I mean, you oh, have yes. this story, you know, and the thing is here, and, and that's also, that's why when you work with other people, you have to tread carefully because you may be impacting one of their cherished family stories, and here you have facts that run counter to it. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it, so you are going to find stuff. You definitely are on the on the on the do over. I guarantee it. Right. You're going to see things to right. the light. And, it, and people are very sensitive. Yes. About yes. the information that they feel is truth to them. Exactly. And so you you that's just what you said. You have to threat lightly. Yep. You know you just can't you just can't go in and say, oh that's not true. I found That's the right. Truth. Here it is. That's so. What I do it's is very I very emotional I, and yeah, it is very emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I avoid Wait, I, I avoid right right and wrong statements. I don't use the words right and wrong. It's not that something is right or wrong. It's just that I have I have an alternate story, uh, and and I I have facts that back it up. Uh, but it doesn't mean that your family story is any less true per se. It's just that you know. This is the best we can do with this information. Right. So you have now started the DNA do-over. So yes, ma'am. So tell us about the <laughs> DNA do-over. Well, DNA has been increasing in popularity. It's just, and and this is this was my concern. We have all these people taking tests. They wait months, up to months, for the results. 
they see their ethnic breakdown and they think, okay, I'm done with my family history. No, you're not done. The thing is DNA, this is my fear, is that DNA is going to become some type of parlor game like a Magic 8-Ball or a Ouija board where it's fun and then it goes and it sits in the closet and we don't do anything with it. So we have a lot of people that have tested that are sitting on data and they've not done a thing with it since they received the results. So they haven't been trying to look at matches. They haven't downloaded their data. They haven't uploaded it to other sites. So again, we pay good money for these tests. So when I say DNA do-over, Bernice, I'm not saying that we're taking a test again. There shouldn't be a need to take the test again. But you are going to start putting those results to work for you in your research. So again, it's a 12-month mapped out program. This month, we're focusing on how to download your data, why you want to download that data, and why you would want to upload it to another site, uh, and what sites allow an upload. Ancestry won't let you upload a test from another site, nor will 23andMe, and a lot of people don't know that. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, that is part of the strategy. The first thing is how to download, why to download, right. and where to download. Exactly, and that's that's mainly what we're focused on this month. And then what we've done is we've mapped out again. We've mapped out certain topics, and uh, for and this is the first year. So this is this is our pilot year, and for the DNA Doover. So you know, next month what we're going to be focusing on is uh, why what is an autosomal DNA test? Uh, that's the one that Ancestry sells. Why is it important to start there? Uh, and then how do you handle your matches? When you match with 1,200 people on Ancestry, how can you possibly do anything with 1,200 matches? You've got to be able to sort them in priority. Then we cover things like Y-DNA, mitochondrial DNA, X-DNA. What can you do with this data? Why would you want to do another higher price test for Y-DNA? Uh, we talk about terminology, like do you know what a SNP is, an SNP, a centimorgan, a haplogroup? Uh, and so uh, other things we cover, uh, what about testing multiple siblings? Is it worth it to test brothers and sisters? Uh, are the relationship categories accurate when you get your results back? Uh, how accurate are results? What is the algorithm that the company is using? Why do my results differ from ancestry and my heritage? Uh, how do you get family members to test? In the summer, we're, you know, and I know I've got a family reunion coming up this summer, uh, Bernice, and what we're going to do is set up a, a DNA testing booth. Sort of, I'm going to probably buy about 20 or 30 kits, and anyone in my family that wants to come up and get tested for free, they can go ahead and do that, and I will administer uh, the project. Uh, so we'll also talk about DNA and health testing. I don't know if you've done the health testing. I've done the health testing through 23andMe. Uh, that yeah. was an eye opener. It was an eye opener for me. It really was. But also, what does it mean? We're also one of the. We're going to deal with the darker side of DNA, DNA privacy, uh, and what what are the companies doing with our data, if anything? Are they selling it to third parties? Uh, what is the future of DNA? You know, what if a life insurance company gets a hold of your DNA data and they determine they don't want to cover you? Can they do that legally? Will that happen? Uh, we need to look at all aspects of DNA, and that's what the do-over, the DNA do-over is about. 
Now, with the the DNA do-over, in the beginning, do you have people go back and redefine why did they take the DNA test in the first place? Yeah, they, they start to look at that, and they, they understand. They want to, we want them to get beyond the whole ethnic breakdown. We want them mm-hmm. – the main thing is, is make sure you have it tied into an online account, and you're looking at matches, and you're looking at trees. That's really the power behind this. Uh, and, and that, you know, this is, this is the data that you have, why you would want to do another test besides the basic, you know, but also line it up with your research goals. If you're looking for this, a birth parent, why can't you find a birth parent of a certain ancestor? Maybe DNA is going to be the answer. We also know that in certain cultures where there are no record sets, where it's all oral history and family stories, that DNA is our best record to tr- prove or disprove these relationships. Now, as far as the size of the groups, you have the genealogy do-over and the DNA do-over. Do these groups right. commingle or are they separate? They do. They can commingle and it's fine. Uh, th- we do find that they are very separate. We only have 1,000 members, and I should say only 1,000. It's, it's less than two weeks old, the DNA do-over. But the thing is, these are people that may not be doing a genealogy do-over. They just want to focus on DNA. I would say there's probably about a 20% overlap, uh, but that's all. The DNA people, you know, they're really uh, very focused on the DNA. Uh, it's something they put on the back burner for years. They've done a test. Or, or we also have people that have never done a test, and they don't know which is the best company. So it's also mm-hmm. comfortable. The Facebook group is a comfortable environment where you can ask questions. Why would I want to test with Ancestry? Why would I want to test with my heritage? And people will relate their experiences and share their information. And so while you have the DNA do-over group, there are multiple DNA groups throughout Facebook. What makes your group different from some of the other groups? Uh, we we have a structured we have a structured month by month topic just like the do over okay so that's what makes us different the other thing is it we, we don't get bogged down in the science uh, we do have a DNA expert Mary Eberly in from Madison Wisconsin I've worked with her for the past year uh, she knows her stuff she's an intellectual she's an intellectual property attorney who's worked in DNA. Uh, she knows DNA inside and out. She's also done a lot of work with adoptees and birth families. Uh, so she's our expert. But we try not to get bogged down in the science. The thing is we want people to get out there and start matching. Uh, and, and sometimes if something gets too technical, we will refer them to one of the other groups. The other groups are great. Uh, mm-hmm. But the thing is I wanted something that was a little bit more manageable. Those groups are, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 strong, uh, it's hard for me to even, I don't know how poor Blaine Bettinger keeps up with all the posts on his group. Uh, I would need to hire a person to do that. Uh, so we wanted something a little bit more sm- smaller, a little bit more intimate, uh, and focused on the education aspect. Which is extremely important. Yes. I can't begin to tell you how many matches I have received that will say, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Exactly. Yeah. And even though the companies all have tutorials, 
people yeah. don't they don't read. No, no, they um, don't. And so that's why these groups. I think these groups are important that people feel comfortable. They find kindred souls, uh, people that are in the same position, and then we have some elevated uh, experts. Uh, like Mary Eberly and like myself, uh, I'm not a DNA expert, but I, I'm a genealogy expert. And so we help facilitate their learning uh, and point them in the right direction. Okay. Sounds like an exciting group to be a, become a part of. Yes. yes. Now, we have a question for you. Sure. Have you discovered ancestors from challenging ethnic research groups like enslaved Africans? Uh, yes, I have, and this is something I want to prove, though, via uh, via uh, DNA testing. I know that my French Huguenot ancestors that came to New York were slaveholders. I know this. I've seen the slave inventories. I've shared them. I've actually made those. I think it's important that we make those records public. But now on my French Huguenot line, this is one of my challenges on DNA is I want to start finding cousins and then possibly uh, enslaved Ancestor enslaved descendants, uh, descendants of enslaved ancestors that were part of my French Huguenot family in New York. I think that's really important. Yes, and when you do find them, I hope that you will share with us your findings. Yes, I will. I will. I will. And and yes, that would be quite interesting. Well, we're getting close to the end, but I want to encourage those in the chat room to post your questions. And Thomas, do you have any other information you want us to know and understand about the 2D do-over uh, programs that you have? Well, the thing is, I think the important thing overall is it's supposed to be fun. If, if it's not fun, if it's genealogy isn't fun, I, I'm not interested in doing it. You know, but I also want it to be challenging. I want it to challenge me mentally uh, in, in terms of, and I want it to challenge me to think about my ancestors and what their lives were like. Uh, and that's what it comes down to. And then sharing that with friends and family. That is really the overall goal. Uh, and leaving a legacy. Uh, so I think that that's what it is. It, it, most of this stuff, as I said, is free. Uh, you know, we, we, I make sure that it's available in a downloadable P- PDF every month. Uh, you can always email me and ask me a question. Uh, you can visit, do the do-over at genealogydoover.com or dnadoover.com. And then you'll get the information you need. And Thomas, I'd like to just throw out two two things for you. First sure. of all, what about self care and burnout prevention for genealogists? Has yes. that ever come up in either of your groups? It, it has actually, and it, it caused me to start another group, which is a secret group called the Healthy Genealogist. <laughs> uh, the thing is, I, I, I had put on seriously. I have a group. It's a very small group, but you might know that recently I lost 110 pounds, uh, and that was a big undertaking for me. Uh, genealogy, especially with online, can become very sedentary, where we just sit here and we research all the time, and we don't take care of ourselves. So it's really important that you do take care of yourself. I mean, this is a lot. You know, the thing is, there's no fun in just sitting there looking for ancestors and you want to leave a legacy, but you're going to die at at an age 50 or 55 and leave a short legacy for yourself. What fun is that, you know? Uh, So I really think that self-care is very important. And Thomas, the final question here is, 
Have you written a book about your ancestors? About my ancestors, no. Uh, not that I published. Uh, what This is what I do. I do ancestor sketches, and this that's a fun outcropping of the genealogy do-over. I started with myself. Uh, Bernice, let me ask you, have you written a one-page autobiography of yourself? I think everyone should yes. try and do that. I did it. Yes, right. I have. So you know I, <laughs> I decided to do a one-pager on my mother, a one-pager on my father, and I'm working my way back. And guess what? When, when I get to a point where I'm comfortable, that becomes my book, all those ancestor sketches. Uh, so oh, I think so okay. also the do-over has helped me improve my family history writing as well. Uh, and that's part of the legacy I'm going to leave for future generations in my family. That is wonderful. Well, Thomas, I want to thank you so much for sharing with us and even motivating all of us to get involved with the genealogy do-over and the DNA do-over. Your knowledge and enthusiasm is infectious. And so just thank you so much for thank joining you. us I appreciate tonight. I appreciate and everyone it. else, please remember your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and Afrogenia's Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Sul Smith. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. Also, check out my services at BB's Genealogy Research and Educational Services. LLC and my website is www.geniebroots.com. This is your host Bernice Alexander Bennett and co-host Patricia Glover, and I look forward to all of you joining me next week. Good night, everyone. Good night, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you.